Hey everyone, welcome into the Apostolic Everyday Podcast. We're so delighted that you chose to join us today, and we pray that this podcast is always a blessing to you. We are a Bible podcast for everyday living. So let's jump into this episode and see how it can help us in our everyday life. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome into the Apostolic Everyday Podcast. We're so delighted that you chose to join us for this exciting episode of the podcast. Today, we have with us, and we're excited about this, Pastor Colby Meadows, the pastor of First United in Poplarville, Mississippi. Everybody, welcome him in today. We're so glad that he chose to join us today. Bro, thank you for coming on the podcast, and uh, we're delighted you're here. Yes, sir, man. I feel like a rock star with that introduction. <laughs> well, you know, I try to make everybody feel uh, feel right at home, so uh, we're so we're so glad that you're, uh, you're with us today. So, first of all, uh, I know a little bit about you, but uh, not everybody listening to the podcast knows about you, so why don't you give us a brief synopsis of who Pastor Colby Meadows is? Uh, yeah. So, man, I was born in the big city of Poplarville, Mississippi, and uh, was raised there, was raised uh, actually in the church. Um, at this point, I am third or no, fourth generation apostolic. And so we were raised there in the church. I lived in Poplarville until I was about probably eight or nine. And then we moved up to Georgia, I actually lived there in Lithia Springs, where um, Atlanta West Pentecostal churches. And so we went there for a while and, uh, and then moved back when I was in eighth grade. And so we've been in the Poplarville area, um, since, since then I got married in 2003 uh, to the lovely sister Tara. And uh, we have two kids, Mally and Cressa. Mally be 17 in July. Cressa just turned to eight. And so my wife and I, we will have been married 21 years this year. 21 years. Uh, Bro, that, yeah, that's so. crazy. <laughs> I look back, well, I, my I wife think. and I, we've been married, uh, I think this is year 12, so 21. I've got nine more to go. Yeah, I think, you know, for for me, I turned 18 May 2nd, and then June the 7th, we were married. And so we uh, we did it young, man. It, uh, wow. But hey, I, I'm thankful for it because it's you know, it's allowed us a lot of opportunities being married that young. And of course we didn't know hardly anything. And it, uh, it, it was definitely a struggle at times, but I'm grateful for 21 years, man. So oh, amazing. For sure. For sure. Well, bro, that's it. That's awesome. I did not realize that uh, you guys have been married that long. Uh, all the years I've known yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, the funny story about it is, is that, so I was, I was raised, you know, like I said, until I was eight or nine in the church where we pastored. Well, her mom and dad were the youth pastors uh, for a while. And so Tara and I were actually raised there in that church and for, for a couple of years together. And so we had, we know five, six, seven years, I don't know anything, but that's pretty neat to see it come full circle that we're both pastoring the church we were raised in. Wow. So that's awesome. So you guys were raised in the church at Poplarville and um, moved away. Uh, for a while, and then uh, to at uh, Georgia, I almost said Atlanta, but Georgia, yep. and which was in the Atlanta area, right? Yeah, we were in a uh, suburb of Atlanta there in Douglasville, and so my mom actually worked at the Capitol for the governor there for a while. Okay, and uh, so we were right there, just far enough out. We were actually right by Six Flags, pretty close. So, oh, and cool. uh, a, a neat story is, you know, I served with Justin Johns on the youth committee. So when his dad came and took the church, he actually lived in the same neighborhood we lived in uh, when we were there and didn't even know it. And then it's pretty neat for us to get reconnected, you know, on the youth committee and serve together. Wow, that's awesome. So being raised in the church, and then um, when when did you um, when did you experience uh, when did you experience salvation? When did when, when were you born again, filled with the Spirit? Um, yeah. So it was actually. Um, 
so I was baptized under Brother Duncan, Larry Duncan, in the early 90s there in Poplarville. And I was, you know, there again, I was young, five, six, seven. I can't remember exactly when it was. And so we moved, you know, so we moved up to Atlanta. And so there for a while, our family really wasn't in church. Um, And so when I came back to Poplarville, um, I wasn't in church um, at all. We had we had drifted, and so I've got a pretty pretty dramatic testimony of kind of some of the things I was involved in. It was one of those deals where there would be weekends when I was 13 years old that my mom, you know, wouldn't know where I was because, of course, mom and dad got divorced when I was two, and so I, I had a myriad of you know um, stepdads and things like that. Uh, but you know, the Lord. I, I never was addicted to any types of substances or anything like that, but that didn't mean I, I didn't, you know, dabble in those things. And so it was, it was pretty dramatic. Just some of the, some of the the things that God delivered me out of. And I know that some of the people I was hanging around, absolutely. And if I would have stayed in that vein, um, you know, it definitely would not have been good, but thankfully um, when I was 15, mom moved back to Atlanta. We were living in Long Beach for a year. Mom moved back to Atlanta, and I just told him, I said, you know, I'm not going. And so I ended up living with my grandparents um, and my uncle. And so that's when we started going to the Bogalusa Church, Brother Quave. Um, and so I was uh, – me and Tara had started kind of talking when I was 15 again. She was going to the Bogalusa Church. Her dad and then was a youth pastor, assistant pastor there. And so for about a year, we talked, and I really wasn't in church. I was still, you know, basically doing my own thing. But around 15, 15 and a half, man, um, God really got a hold of me uh, the summer between 10th and 11th grade. And, uh, man, I come to God. God refilled me with the Holy Ghost. I was baptized. And uh, so from I've been living for the God, you know, um, since about 15 and a half. And then, of course, through that, you know, I received my call to preach when I was 16. I mean, it was just shortly after. I come back to the church where I was like, you know, man, I have to do something. I can't, it was just in me. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I was always looking for an opportunity to to be a part. I remember after I, I and it, this was maybe even before I got a call to preach that I just went to my pastor and I was like, listen, can I do anything? Is there anything that I can do? Because I just wanted to be a part. And so he's like, yeah, sure. Here's a set of keys. I want you to be the last one to leave every Sunday. <laughs> you know, you hear, you think it's cliche. You hear people talking about, well, you can't be, you know, uh, fit for a pulpit if you don't have a plunger. Well, you know, that's, that's so much, so true, man. I just wanted something to do. And he's like, okay, well, I really need somebody to lock up so I can go, you know, out to eat with people. And so, man, for a long time, that was, that was my, my contribution to the kingdom. I made sure the lights were off, the air was off. And, uh, and so that was my introduction to ministry. It was not a pulpit. It's it's funny you mentioned that your pastor um, told you, you know, here I got something for you to do. Here's the keys. Make sure that you uh, lock everything's locked up and shut down. Uh, I was talking right. to a young uh, preacher yesterday, and we were talking about uh, uh, serving in capacities in the church and things of that nature, and and you know. Mm-hmm. what what is what is validated for a paid position or or whatever and uh, I said man let me tell you something I said when I was your age I said I served as an assistant to the pastor for no pay I said I made sure that and you, and you think that's like grand title I said but the, here's what I did I said I made sure the lights were on and the air was going and right. the CDs were in place and um the if there was any cleaning that needed to be done, I said, I made sure everything was intact so that when the pastor come there, all he had to do was get prepared for last little minute details and then, uh, greet the congregation and pray. So that is awesome because I believe that's a missing art nowadays. Um, I think a lot of preachers want a pulpit or want, want the notoriety of what they think ministry is without the groundwork that actually comes with it. Sure. And, you know, it, it prepare it really does prepare you. It makes you, uh, makes you want, uh, it definitely makes you right. <laughs> well, see, I think, I think was, what was beautiful about, about that circumstance for me was that, you know, I wasn't, I, I had that desire before I was called into ministry. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think what we find is, is that God always calls those people that he finds working, you know, and so I think when when you are when you've given yourself to the kingdom of God and your pastor and the local church, I think that's when you really begin to develop a calling because you know there's just something there. And say so I think that's really what it was for me 
William, was that I really didn't know how to define what I was feeling. I just wanted to do something about what I was feeling, basically. And so as I began to serve, God began to reveal ministry to me. Yeah. And, you know, you don't, you know, you, you can't hear people say, well, I never wanted to be a minister. That was really never on my mind about ministry or not about ministry. It's just I wanted to be a part, mm-hmm. wanted to make a difference. And so that's I think that's really what initiated me to discover my call. Yeah, that's powerful. And bro. I think that's important for so many people that, you know, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with desiring to be a pastor or desiring to be a, a preacher. You know, I don't think we need to disparage that. But I do think that that our focus can't just be about seeking ministry. It has to seek servanthood. Yeah. Well, I, and so I, I think that's what allows people to develop a calling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell people, and especially younger guys that, that I've just kind of discipled, not not pastored or, or, or anything, just decide, help disciple them. Cause first and foremost, that's what we're called to do is be disciples. And so there are young men that I've helped pray through and disciple that eventually would feel a call to ministry and would walk in that ministry. I told, I tell them most all of them, if not all of them, I have told them the, the platform to elevation is servanthood. It's the entryway. If you want God to elevate you, he's got to know you're willing to serve him no matter where or what it is he's called you to do. And the only way he can test right. that is servanthood. And so right. um, that's, that's powerful because uh, it's, it's, it, it is the way that generic, you grow generically in ministry. It's, it's generic growth. It's just, it, 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 I don't know if I want to use the word mutates, but it, it becomes something greater uh, out of just saying, God, I'm willing to serve you. I know I want to do something. And I'm willing to serve you right. no matter what it takes and what you, whatever you want me to do, I'm, I'm willing to do it. So that's great. Right, absolutely. It's a, it's an organic process that develops over time. Yes. Yeah. So I think people, men, um, and women also have to be patient in the process of letting it develop at its own pace. Now you have, there's, there's responsibility factors for every, every preacher, or every person that thinks they're called into ministry. You know, there, there are responsibilities that you have to take care of. However, I think it does develop gradually. There's no, hell, I'm a preacher and this is this is what I'm going to do. And sometimes God does reveal all of that, you know, but I think it's just an it's an organic journey, a process of growing into that and really discovering what it is you want to be, not because it looks it looks to be one way. It's you know, I, for me in, in that case, you know, I knew from the beginning, I remember going to a minister's class um at Brother Quave, and I knew it from the beginning that God was calling me to be a pastor. And so uh, that's that's what I did. I, I I sought out wisdom on that, and I did things that would equip me to become a pastor. I didn't read books on evangelism. I postured myself to be a pastor. I, I watched every move my, my, my pastor made. And so what happened is, you know, I come into this minister's class. There's about 18 guys in there, right? And so I come in at 16 years old. I know nothing because I didn't come from preachers. I come from, you know, spirit-filled you know, homes, grandparents, but I knew nothing about ministry. And what happened is at 16, I come into that minister's class. There was 18 guys that had already been in there. They've already been in the trenches. Here I am, this new kid who, you know, just a year ago had a gold chain with a C around his neck and two cubic zirconium studs in each ear. And here I am now, I'm walking in through this ministry class at 16. And then by 23, I'm, I have been selected as the full-time assistant pastor there in Bogalusa. I think then we were running like 250, 260. And so I never aspired to be that. It just developed as I served. Yep. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's the doorway. It's the pathway. You know, Joseph dreamed dreams at 17, but he didn't see the fruition of those dreams until 30. So it's like, sure. it's like okay, so there's 13 years of process. And he sure. was a servant. You you can say slave, servant, whatever. He 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 was in their eyes a slave, but in his eyes a servant. Right. He never lost sight of the path of who he was meant to be. Um, sure. People, See, but the thing is, that comes with all sorts of pressure. And I think we we'd be remiss or naive to think that 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 thirteen year journey or whatever that journey looks like that it's not without frustration and it's not without you pounding your fist on the floor, crying out to God, why have you forsaken me? You know, it's not this glorious pathway of, oh, I'm just a servant. No, it's, you're in the trenches and you're dealing with your flesh and you're dealing with, 
you know, trying to overcome the temptation of, well, if I go somewhere else, I can be used to a greater capacity. And so it's not a glorious journey. It's full of pitfalls and, you know, temptations and perils of leadership. Uh, And so we, I think like you were talking about Joseph is you have to understand. And I don't think Joseph really knew what the dream meant. I don't think he saw himself sitting beside favor. He was just, he knew he had a dream. He knew he had been spoken to. And so through this process of frustration and pressure and, and, you know, just hurt, he, he finally got to that place. And so I don't want anybody that's going to listen to this think that, you know, there's this glorious process where you're being elevated and there's just all these angels singing and you're, you know, have a halo about your head. No, there's some days where it just stinks. If I can say it like that, because (laughs) you're just in a process and you don't know what's going to happen. You're just trusting God for your future. And I think that's, that encompasses the whole idea of pursuing, pursuing Christ and the calling he has on your life. You don't know what it's going to entail. And so you blindly and faithfully just follow that doing whatever's required or even asked of you, you know? Yeah. Well, it's pursue Christ, not ministry. Because if you pursue Christ, the ministry will develop. And like you said, Joseph um, Joseph did not, I believe, I agree with you. I don't believe he knew the extent of the dream. He just knew God had called him to be a leader. And yep. he didn't understand the process of what that meant. But it was, like you said, it was the pit and then, you know, Potiphar's house and the prison lies and deception and all kinds of uh, things that um, could have destroyed him, uh, but he chose rather to um, follow God through every season of his life, and it turned out better that way. And so I think if, like you said, I think if we would just learn to follow God throughout the process, everything will come to pass according to his plan, whether he gives us the full picture or pieces of the picture, or just asks us to trust him. That comes in different times and different seasons. Those things come along yeah. the way. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, that's awesome. So, uh, felt the call to preach at 16. You kind of give us a little bit of a, uh, a history there of 16 to 23, you, that period of time you progressed and become the assistant pastor. But tell us a little bit, tell us about the development of that. So, I know you were in a young minister's class, but, and you were locking up and, uh, serving in whatever capacity that uh, your pastor asked of you, but do you remember the first message you ever preached? Oh yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely it was a train wreck. Um, I remember one of the second messages that I preached. You know, I didn't feel like God had given me any word. And I, all I felt like He just gave me a sentence, and so I got up at a youth night and uh, completely unprepared, and I just was thinking, "Oh, God's going to fill my mouth," just full of this faith and ambition that here in the middle of these 50 youth on this, you know, youth lock in 12 o'clock at night. Here I am half asleep, scared to death. And uh, God's just going to fill my mouth. Well, what I've come to come to understand is that if you have not given yourself the diligent study and you are still very immature in the Lord, that there's not a whole lot he can tell you because you don't know anything. (laughs) And so, uh, um, so man, it's been a learning process. So, uh, we, Brother, the, the culture at Brother Quaid's church of ministry development is is pretty impeccable. He is very intentional about ministry development, and I think that speaks to itself because right now I want to say that he has somewhere in the neighborhood of five to six guys, uh, maybe even more than that, that were actually in that minister's class with me that are now full-time pastors and pastoring great works. And so um, he, he his church has been kind of a, a hub for that. Almost if you if you think about the state line church where like Brother Carney, Brother Jones, Brother Dylan, guys like that are out of, I think I think New Life there in Bogalusa is it's quite similar in the aspect of that it has it has intentionally developed pastors to go and and serve the kingdom of God, and so that that was kind of the culture. It was you know we had a minister's class once a month and he gave us opportunities to preach. Funny story, um, so Brother Quaid is very um, very. Uh, I wouldn't say rule driven, but he's very principle driven. And so I remember one time, this was before I was assistant pastor. He he told me, okay, you have five minutes. You have five minutes on a Wednesday night after you get done, I'm coming up preaching. So I got up and I preached, right? So I'm just on fire for God. And I think I went like eight minutes and I closed my Bible and walked back to the, to the seats there. And I looked at him and I just mouth, I didn't even, no words even come out of my mouth. I just said, I'm sorry, Bishop. It's all I said. 
And so after church, I went running up to him. I was like, hey, bitch, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I went over my time. And uh, he's like, you know what, man, that's that's okay. I know you got a lot to say. And it was like three weeks later, he asked me to preach again. And he said the same thing, you know, got five minutes, get up, you know, preach before I preach. And I think I ended up going like 10 minutes that time. And same thing, Bishop, I'm so sorry. And after church, I come to him, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's all right. That's all right, Brother Cole. That's all right. Bro, when I tell you I didn't preach for six months, I didn't preach for six months. And from that day, if somebody tells me you have a certain amount of time, I go under. And yeah. I think I think that mentality really developed. Um, it really developed discipline in my life because I knew, right, okay, so if the Holy Ghost gets moving, that's one thing. But take Wednesday nights, for example, and we I practice this to this day, but we are out of there by eight o'clock because I know these people are working. They have kids. They got to get up and go to school. And some might will say, well, you, you can't you can't stop what God's going to do. I'm not going to stop what God's going to do, but I'm going to stop what I'm going to do. And if I'm done at eight and God's done, we're getting out of there because it, it just creates this. It's an appreciation because people are, you know, they're tired, they're wore out. And so I think that stemmed from Brother Quaid, kind of that culture that he built, you know, built into my life. And so, you know, after we were the assistant pastors there for four years. Um, so at 23, we become the full-time assistant pastors. I worked on the youth committee there. I think we were only youth pastors for a couple months and they got somebody else. So I don't know what that says about <laughs> my ability <laughs> to be youth pastor. But, uh, um, but so we were assistant pastor there. And then in 2012, we moved up to Richton to be with my father-in-law, Brother G, or as a lot of people know him as Brother G. Adresich. And so we were there and helped him build a church there, um, not not numerically, but um, he actually, he was in the process of beginning to build a new building. We had built one at Brother Clay's while I was assistant pastor, built a, a ministry center, basically family life center, Sunday school. And so um, we went to Richston, we were in the process of building. And so we were part of that. We were there um, for quite some time. And and then 2015, man, uh, I was I was working at a hospital there and I lost my job. First time I ever had to tell my wife, you know, hey, I lost my job. But miraculously, um, God opened the door for us to evangelize. And I knew from day one I wasn't an evangelist. Um, you know, I knew I was always called to be a pastor. Uh, but for those in 2015, when I lost my job, I just had a conversation with God. And I told him, I said, listen, <laughs> you know, as if I had anything to tell God. You know, you didn't call me to be evangelist. You called me to be a pastor. And so, man, for 18 months, God opened the door for us to evangelize full time. And, man, I never, I never, not one time, um, you know, picked up a phone to call anybody to schedule a meeting. It just happened. It was, it was nothing but God. Um, and then in 2016, we'll become the pastors in Poplarville. And so that's, that's my journey, man. That's my journey in ministry. Of course, we served on the youth committee for a while. I was section eight youth director and then um, served at a district level as the district secretary, youth secretary. And so, so, um, so the time frame, the time frame of all that. So you, 2000, what was it? 2000. When did you move to Richmond? 2012. 2012. Came in February of 2012. Yeah. And then you, you served on the youth committee. So when were you, when did you begin to serve? In that capacity, it was. I think it was. I think it was uh, 2013. I got you. We began serving uh, Section Eight. Awesome. And um, so, how many years did you church. do that before you? You said you served as a youth secretary. So, how many years? Yep. I think we served that. We served in, in Section Eight in that capacity until 2015, and then at district conference um, in 2015, we were we were elected as the youth secretary. Awesome. Um. I think it was 50, it was either 15 or 16. And then I think in 2017 or 18, uh, we stepped down from youth secretary. Just, it was, it was a lot, it was a lot of load, you know, as far as me being a new pastor and also doing that. And so we just felt it best to, you know, pass that baton on. Yeah. But I did, I, I did enjoy my, my time there. You know, we really enjoyed serving on the youth department, even at the district level, you know. For sure. Well, I know that, <clears throat> I served with you uh, for about a year there, so that was, uh, was a great. Uh, we had some good times on the. Uh, yeah, committee. I think it was a very, very, uh, you know, informative time. You know, getting to see outside of my circle. Yeah. Uh, getting to be exposed to a lot of things because there are some relationships that I still have to this day. You know that that were kind of forged in that in that fire, <laughs> the fire of youth ministry. 
So, yeah, and still some, you know, some preachers that I really wouldn't have had the opportunity to connect with that came in to preach, you know, youth camps and things like that. You know, I still have their, their contact information. I'm still able to talk to them. So it's pretty neat. Yeah. It's amazing how God opens doors to build relationships that helps us, uh, further down the road in, in capacities that he's called us to serve. Absolutely. And I think one of the, one of the memorable moments is when, um, Jason State come to preach the youth camp for us. And so we're riding in the truck and I got crucified, um, for this anyway, you might've been on the committee then, but, um, for his request, we played golf for a couple of days. And so, um, nobody want, everybody wanted to know why I was the guy that got to bring Jason Staten to play golf, um, during youth camp. <laughs> I didn't ask for that. It just, it just came my way, but we were riding in the truck one day. And so he, I think I actually preached that year. That was the year when they let the youth directors do the day services. Yeah. So I actually preached that year. And um, so Jason and I were having a conversation, or Brother State and I, rather, I should say, I'm sorry. Um, Brother State and I were having a conversation. And so he began to ask me, you know, if you were going to preach, you know, a youth camp, how, how would you do that? Well, how, how would you systematically do that? And man, I'm clueless, right? And so he just begins to lay out systematically how he prepares for youth camps. He talks about how the first night he, uh, he starts with a message of repentance. And so he said that way on Monday night, you get all these kids that's been living like heathens, you know, the, the first part of the summer, you get them to repent. And then the rest of the night, you know, you can really hit home with some, with, uh, you know, with some great messages and just some, some conviction and, and some leadership. And so that was something I wouldn't have gotten had I not been in that position, you know? Yeah, that's great, man. The things you can learn, uh, on a golf course. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but listen, if if you're going to if you're going to allow yourself to learn something on the golf course, get ready for the shot. They're coming. Yeah, exactly. Somebody's going to shoot some shoot. Somebody's going to aim aim at you. It's okay though. And nine nine times out of 10 it's a, it's a it's a low blow. So, uh but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So, um anyway, so the, the, your time serving as the uh youth secretary overlap with you becoming the pastor of um where right. you're at now, yep. First United. So, um, in 2016, you uh, took over uh, the church, the pastorate there at First United, and so you've been there how long now? Uh, July 3rd will be eight years we have been pastors there. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I can't believe it. Actually, it's it's been quite quite a ride. I didn't know that's what we were signing up for. Yeah. Um, but it, man, it's been it's been it's been amazing. It hasn't been without its challenges, you know. Sure. sure. Um, so, um, 2016, you become the pastor. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us a little bit about the eight years of, of the church and how it's grown and, and, and the development stages and some, you know, uh, to just talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, share that with, uh, maybe a struggling pastor sure. out there, uh, that. Yeah. Um, it's, so it's kind of unique me being able to come back to our home church. Well, I say home church is where we, you know, first met God. It's where, you know, my mom dedicated me to the Lord. And, and so there's some, it's pretty, pretty awesome to be there just because my grandfather was secretary and treasurer in that church back in the early nineties. And so it's got some really rich history there just for my family alone. Um, so we, we, we came in 2016, uh, we had evangelized there for the previous pastor several times. And so we, we'd come to know the people naturally. We knew them because they were, you know, everybody knew my family. My grandfather was a business owner there in the city. He was a septic tank installer for nearly 40 years. And so we, we were known, they knew me. And so we came there. And, uh, when, when the, when the previous pastor resigned, uh, Bishop Carney, Bishop James Carney, um, he called me. He's like, listen, man, they, they want you and your wife to come. And I was like, okay. And so let, let me backtrack. Let me backtrack if I can. Yeah, go ahead. Um, go back to the, to the fall of 2011. I'm, I'm assistant pastor at Brother Quaves. The Poplarville Church comes open. They're looking for a pastor. And, bro, when I tell you God spoke to me and laid it on my heart to be the pastor in, in Poplarville, 2011, they lost their or their pastor left, resigned through whatever circumstances. And, man, it was so strong on me. I couldn't get away from it. I talked to my wife, talked to my father-in-law. Um, and so I come to Brother Quaid. I remember where we were at the dining hall. I come to Brother Quaid one day, and I said, Bishop, I need to talk to you. He said, yeah, man, what's going on? And I said, I, I feel that it's the will of God for me to go to Popperville. 
and try out. And Brother William, he looked back across at me across that bar there in the Family Life Center, the dining hall, and all he said was no. He just said no. He said, you're not going. And I was like, okay, okay. And, bro, when I tell you I walked out of that dining hall and I was crushed because I knew that God had spoke to me to go to Poplarville. I knew what God had put in my heart. And I knew that, that you know, I, that's where I was supposed to be. And that that may sound harsh to some guys, but my pastor could see a whole lot more than what I could see. And I surrendered to that. I submitted to that. Fast forward to June of 2016. Brother Carney had already been talking to me. We were in the camp, a camper there, a buddy of mine's camper on the campground for senior youth camp. And I, I, it was already in line. I was going to, to try out for Poplarville Church because the people didn't want anybody else. They wanted me to come. They didn't want to hear anybody else. And bro, Brother Clay calls me. And I'm trying not to be too emotional. Brother Clay calls me as I'm walking into the camper like a Thursday of senior youth camp. I'm going Sunday to preach in Poplarville to try out. Really not even try out, just to preach. And when I answer the phone, he's like, hey, I've been talking to Brother Carney. And he said, he told me what's going on in Poplarville. And he said, because you were submitted to the man of God back when I told you no. Sorry. He said, God has no other choice but to bless you now. He said, now is the right time for you to be in Poplarville. That's powerful. Bro. And man, when I'm looking back, had I went in 2011, it would have been a train wreck. But because I was submitted to my pastor and he was watching out for my soul, he's watching out for my family. And now looking back to see where we've come from in eight years, I realize that it's all God. But I also realize it has an extreme amount to do with my willingness to submit to spiritual authority in my life. And so when we went to Poplarville, they didn't, man, they didn't want to hear anybody else. So we go into this, this church building. I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with it. The church, the old church there would sit like 325 and they had 15 members, 15 wow. members elected us as pastor. Wow. And it, it was, it was in, it was in bad shape. And I had guys on the youth committee telling me, man, you're crazy. You know how many people's went down there and failed? Do you know, you know how many people has lost their marriages there? Um, but I'm the seventh pastor since 1957. Um, well, you know, it's, it, I'm just not really interrupt you, but just to say this, it's amazing how you're talking about being submitted to authority in your life. It's amazing how when God tells you something um, and he puts it in your heart to do, he prepares the way. And then at the end of the day, when it is finally the moment, you're the only one. There's no competition. No, and it's it's amazing to see it. I guess I've never really thought about it like that. It was it was a clear, it was clear. It was one of the smoothest transitions I've ever I've ever seen. Like the people even there, they just knew that this is you know that my family was the ones that they wanted to be their pastor. Um, and so crazy. you know we know that the hand of God was on. Sure, we absolutely without without doubt we know that the hand of God was on it, and that we knew that. And so, me and my wife had a conversation before we went because we knew that there were some things that had went on there, um, some moral failures, et cetera, et cetera. And so, we 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 made a commitment to each other to always be open and transparent and never hide anything from each other, uh, just because we knew that the tendency that had, had had been before. And so, you know, we've stuck to that, and uh, it, God has really blessed us. Uh, so you started with 15, you started with 15 back in 2016 yep. and, um, how, how many, how many folks do you guys run now? Uh, Sunday we had 137. See, it's amazing to, now I understand that the journey has not been a bed of roses, but it's amazing sure. that when you start, when, when God 
again, I go back to that 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 phrase uh, from your pastor, Brother Quave. God has no choice but to bless you because you were submitted in that moment, and how yeah, others absolutely. have failed, and others and and we we don't glory in that or or whatever. But it's amazing where others fail. God has allowed you to prosper because number one, the foundation was right in the beginning, and the foundation was submission to authority. And when you're submitted to the right. proper channels of authority in your life, how that opens the avenue to success. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, you know, and I will say this, like, and you said it already, and, and we'll get into some more of our story about pastoring, but we've had, we've had numerous people come to me, come to my wife and they ask us the question. They're like, man, what are y'all doing? We see all these pictures. We see your new building. We see, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can fill in the blank with all the things that people are seeing. Like, how, how are y'all doing it? What's the, you know, what's, what's the, the key and, William, I'll tell you this, there, there is no magic pill. There is no magic key to success. There is no, you know, let's pull a rabbit out of a hat so that we can emulate this church that we see that has all these things going on. It's consistency is absolutely paramount in, in seeing God fulfill his promise. Consistency in your vision, consistency in, in your daily walk, consistency just, just in being there. Bro, for eight years, we've just been there. We've done what we said we were going to do. We've supported the mission. We've supported the vision. And it's it's been a long, hard road. And I and I'm not I'm not saying that we've arrived. We're we're at a healthy, a strong church. But the key to it is just being in the trenches and getting some getting knocked down, taking some hits, and getting back up and saying, you know what, this this isn't gonna destroy us, this isn't gonna kill us. I mean, my Lord, we were trying to raise money for a roof. We needed $30,000 for a roof. And I was, I was so discouraged. And then while we're trying to raise money for a roof, one of the AC units that was put in in the early 80s goes out. And I'm like, you know what, Lord, this is not fair. can't tell you how many times I told the Lord, you know what, this is not fair. <laughs> and it seemed like every day that I went into that building, uh, you know, the original church building was built in 57. And then in the eighties, they expanded it. And it seemed like every time I went in there that it was just this, something else needed to be fixed. Something else was leaking. And so we were raising money for a roof. AC goes out. We put a new AC, two brand new AC units in this joker, right? Spent all this money on these brand new train, air handlers, you know, everything. And then two weeks later, after we seen a little over 10 grand in this building, it burns. And I'm like... (laughs) listen <laughs> if if you could just spare <laughs> spare a little a little grace for us down here um but and, and so that's been a process itself you know coming through the fire yeah and there were so many sentimental things there and there were some things there that we were glad that that the lord helped us with and i think i think one of the overall messages that i got you know a couple of days after the fire after everything had it kind of died down. I'm walking through the middle of the church and some people that follow us on social media, they probably see me standing out there in the middle of this burnt down church where the pulpit used to be. And so I'm rummaging through it, you know, rummaging through all the ashes. I'm going through my office and it's like the Lord said, just leave it. Don't bring anything out of this building into anything else. Just don't, I don't want you to try to get any books. I don't want you to try to get any of your notes. I mean, I had, I had a binder full of notes that went all the way back to when I was 16 and I started preaching that I lost. I lost all of that. Wow. And I'm trying to struggle through, you know, finding these, these keepsakes. I mean, I had, I had song books from my great grandmother who was, you know, apostolic. And so it's just all of these things like the Lord said, no, don't touch it. Just leave it here. And that was a very hard thing for me to do. Um, And then going forward, I see that, you know, the Lord was not trying to trying to keep me from some things. He was just trying to let some things be buried. Right. And and so it was a process. Thankfully, we we were a debt free church um, when that happened. And thankfully, through the hand of God and, and good insurance, we're still debt free today. And um, and your facility, so. I've been there. Your facility is amazing. It's it's amazing how um how God, how, how we look at 
you know, it's like one, what seems to be a negative thing after a negative thing after a negative thing. And it's like, okay, God, you know, we, we're here. We started with 15 people. We've grown a little bit. We've seen some success. And then we sink $10,000 in AC units and, and all of this stuff. And then the buildings burned down. What are you doing? Um, right. and, but then to look back, uh, my wife and I, we were having a conversation the other day and she said, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's always perfect. And I said, that's right. And sometimes you don't understand what's going on until you're able to look back and you see, man, God, you were evident in every right. phase of it. And, um, yeah, that's crazy. And I think, I think the beautiful thing about it is, is that in that old sanctuary is that we had already started seeing an upward shift in momentum. We were winning some, you know, some people had come into the church. And so we were seeing an upward trajectory when that happened. And so thankfully we had to have our family life center. We had to do a few things to, to get it ready for service. But for two weeks after the fire, we were having services in our family life center. And the following year in 2022, you know, God's blessing us. We're, we're baptizing people and, in April of 2022, one of our youth, man, our youth department was growing, growing, people were coming. One of our youth, a young 13-year-old boy, he got tragically killed in a hunting accident, and he was a vibrant part of our church. And it's like, yet again, here, here's this, here's another, you know, yeah. I mean, the church building was already being built. We'd already committed to that. We'd already have a contract, but yet here's another deal. But man, when I tell you, from that, the largest, the single largest increase happened after his funeral. I was able to preach his funeral to, I think there was 350, 400 people in attendance that day. And within two weeks, our church attendance jumped by 35. Wow. And my wife and I had the conversation today, 80% of that, that growth stayed and it, it sustained. And so when you've got eighty percent, when you've got eighty percent retention rate, uh, that's a pretty good percentage. Um, that's good, and, yeah. and and even even out of a tragic moment and a tragic season and a tragic situation, it, it it's you know just hearing this and your story and and then um, reflecting on our lives and and people that hear this will reflect on theirs as well. And it's the ebbs and flows of, of ministry and life and walking with God consistently every day. That's the only way you get through these ebbs and flows and, uh, of ministry it, and life. It's just being, being consistent, man. That's, that is the, that is the common denominator. It's just being consistent and you know what, in what you know to do. Yeah, man, that's, that's crazy. Well, God has definitely blessed you guys. I've watched from afar and, um, and even participated in uh, preaching there and things of that nature. And it's just amazing to watch how God has really just um, blessed you guys um, with what for is sure. going on there. Um, so I know, I know you've pastored for eight years, but in the middle of all of this, um, you also are a entrepreneur and you started a business, a company. Um, won't you tell us a little yep. bit about that? Yeah. Um, so that business is called Tarco Renovations. And so the Tarco is basically Tara Colby. Um, uh, kind of the backstory to start that. We were still a very small church. Um, and so I was full time, but it just, it didn't take, there was no need for me to be in the office every day. There wasn't that much administrative duties. And so I took a job with a housing authority there. And for, for a year, I was bivocational. And, uh, I saved, I saved, uh, done my best to save a whole lot of money while I was working there. And in September of 2020, the Lord woke me up and about three o'clock in the morning, we were there in the parsonage and the Lord woke me up and his words to me was prepare to receive income from a different source. And I, there's probably so many people that's heard me tell that, but that this is the pivotal moment. And so I knew that didn't mean me leaving the church because that there was no, no indicator in my spirit that it was time to leave the church. And so what I did was um, I, I started pursuing, you know, my own business. My grandfather, he was a business owner. Both my maternal and paternal grandfathers were business owners, both in the construction industry. And so that was kind of my background. I was raised around heavy equipment, um, dump, 
trucks back those bulldozers and then my my dad's dad he was a carpenter painter and so i had this is my background and so in in september the lord woke me up and so from that it's just he put it in my heart to create my own business and so we started by uh, building furniture building rustic furniture and then it just morphed into um the renovation side to where we started renovating bathrooms uh, kitchens and now to the point where it is today through my time there with the housing authority i built several relationships and right now uh, we're working under contract painting mississippi regional housing authority and so when someone moves out they call us we come in and paint and so we service about 14 different properties all the way from Covington County down towards Gauche, Pascagoula. And so that's, that's kind of what that looks like for us. And then in January, we launched um, a separate side of the business called Tarco Property Maintenance. So what we do is we offer subscription-based um, maintenance solutions for businesses and residential customers. And so that's that's kind of where we are. We're we're involved in a little bit of it all as far as the residential remodeling and painting. And then we're also into the maintenance aspect of it. And so there's there's still some more opportunities out there that we want to get into. But this is just where we are right now. You know, man, that's also awesome. it's 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 the balance of, of ministry and and business. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So definitely a beast. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So that that would be uh, that would be the the thing that I would would ask you for those out there who are bivocational um, and who uh-huh. work or maybe an entrepreneur and pastor or entrepreneur in ministry or work a job ministry, those kind of things. So how, how have you been? Cause I've watched you again. I've watched from afar and I've seen you be successful in both uh, areas of the secular world and in the church world, the spiritual context of everything. How, how does Colby Meadows, uh, how does he balance the two? Um, it's very difficult. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's just the honest answer that I can give you. And so it's still, you know, my business didn't really have a whole lot of success, um, for the first little bit. And so it's still, it's still kind of new to me to balance those two effectively. And, you know, every pastor knows his limits. and so. Every pastor has a number, a number of people that he can successfully pastor. Mine's, mine's about 75 to 80. That's all I can handle by myself. And so what has to happen is, is you, you have to begin to surround yourself with people who can take up that slack. And you have to not be so conceited to think that you have to be the one to touch all the sheep, that you have to find guys that are are strong where you're weak. and so. Um, back in January of 23, we brought, uh, brother Dave and sister Erica on with us there at the church to be our pastoral assistant. Uh, he also works for me in the painting side of the business as well. Um, and so it's, it's definitely a chore to balance it all. And I think it takes time. It takes, takes time. It takes experience to learn, you know, what, what you can and cannot balance. Because, you know, when I first started my business, I wanted to say yes to everything because I didn't want to lose a customer. And so what I found out was that as I, I can't say yes to everything and still be an effective pastor. Um, and, you know, I'll be honest, William, I struggled with the idea of being bivocational. I really did, because there's this stigma that I think that a lot of ministers have, uh, maybe naturally, maybe not naturally, is that everybody is reaching for full-time ministry. I just want to be full-time. I just want to be full-time. Well, my opinion is if you've got 20 people at your church, there's no there at that point. There's really no reason for you to be full time. Like why why are you why are you just sitting here? All I understand you're praying and you're reading, you're studying. I get that because I did that. And I'll I'll say this: not everybody is meant to be entrepreneurs. Not because it's it's a it's a beast that that will eat you alive if you don't if you don't have a good handle on it. And some days I struggle with that, trying to balance it all. Um, but I think you have to be intentional with your time, intentional what you say yes to and intentional with what you say no to. Um, and I think there's also the stigma in, in ministry that we have to say yes to everything. Right. Just because there's some things, if we're not careful, there are some issues that just because they cry the loudest don't mean they are the most important. And what we do as ministers is we have a tendency to always run to the thing that cries the loudest. 
And what we end up doing is we neglect our family and we neglect our businesses and we neglect those that really do need us. And so I think it's just being intentional with what's most important. I think that's the best way to balance it. And and I will say this, and I, I know I already said it, that I struggled with the idea of being bivocational because it was always just you want it, you need to be full-time, 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 full-time. But to the, to, to the, any of the guys that's going to listen to this, don't never allow anybody to make you feel guilty for being ambitious in business because before you were called to be a pastor, you're called to be a provider. And if you've got a wife and kids and you have a family, you're called to be their provider. I want to be very careful here, but I don't want to neglect my family and the needs of my family. And so that's kind of where I find myself is how, how can I be the dad? How can I be the husband? How can I be the pastor? Because William, for me, my, my mentality for the business aspect of it is so much larger than, you know, just monetary resources. I've got two daughters. They're going to get married. I want to create a business to where my daughter's husbands can come and work for me. And then there's this multi-generational aspect of a business where you're not only providing for you, you're providing for your kids. And, and that, that's my idea. And if we want to take that further, business and entrepreneurship has the opportunity to alleviate the pressure of your church from having to support you. And so for me, it hasn't gotten to that place yet. But for me, I want to get to the place where I can relieve the pressure of our local church of supporting my family. And I can use those resources to go and hire staff, hire youth pastors, hire children pastors, hire music directors. And so what I'm doing is I'm creating a culture where, number one, we're able to bring in more staff. But also, Poplarville, if you know anything about Poplarville and Pervert County, we're just blue-collar folks. And when I step to that pulpit on a Wednesday night and I've been working all week like the rest of those guys, bro, that does so much in in the eyes of your blue collar workers to know that, hey, my pastor is just like me. He gets up, he goes to work, he's he's hustling and he's he's, you know. And so I realize there, there's going to come a point in, in our church where I am not going to be able to be on the tools of my business because if my church is going to grow, I'm going to have to spend an increased amount of time behind the desk meeting with people. And so now I have to make steps to get my business where it's self-sustainable and I have guys in place to run that for me to where I can be full-time. You, you don't need to be full-time if your church doesn't need it. But when your church needs it, that's when you really need to pursue being full-time. Uh, if, if that makes sense, I hope that makes some sense. Yeah. And like you said, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Um, but right. the same token, um, it's always best to prepare, uh, as if God's going to do it, but work as if you have to. And so, right. uh, you have to put, put things in place, but man, that's so good. The proper balance of it's an everyday struggle. Um, I'm an entrepreneur as well. And trying to pastor, we recently just started pastoring this past year, man, try the balance of it all. Um, is a challenge, but at the same time, when you prepare right, uh, God always blesses those who prepare. And so when you prepare right, God's going to bless it and God's yeah. going to honor it. I agree. And God's going to do his, his part because you're doing your part. Yeah. And, and I realize that I realize that there, like I said, there will come a time where I am not able to be as involved in my business as I, um, because, you know, take, take some of our friends who have these larger churches that are way larger than ours or yours. And it requires them to be there every day. It requires them to have office hours. And so I'm not, I'm not saying anything against that, but while you can, I think it's extremely wise to do everything you can to, to be, to put your family in a position to succeed, if that makes sense. Yes, it makes perfect sense. And it, and it's, I think that is, the, some some great advice um, for ministers out there. I, I think we've created, and you stated it earlier, and it's so true, and I wish that we could get away from this terminology uh, and this idea um, of everybody has to be full-time. When you're in ministry or, or any any capacity of that nature, it's always, everybody's looking to be full-time pastor, a full-time evangelist, or a few, and, and those are great things to, to strive for. Absolutely. And they have their place. They do. But at the same time, it, 
Paul was a tent maker. There were seasons of his life that he had to work as he preached. Mm-hmm. And, and so it is, it is not a bad thing to have, to be, to do, to, to pastor and then also to be an entrepreneur or to hold a secular occupation. Um, right. And people I should never say, feel shame for that. Right. Exactly. And, and, and it's not, it's not a shame. You shouldn't be, feel ashamed because you're bivocational. And, and I'll take it a step further. You shouldn't feel ashamed because you were ambitious to be bivocational. Right. That's, that's, that, that shouldn't be a cloak of shame that we carry around with us for feeling bad of wanting to start our own business. And I realize now, listen, I, I realize that if you're stuck at a nine to five Monday through Friday, it, it is, it is extremely difficult to, to make your own schedule and be free for certain things. And so I realized that. Um, and so on the, on the, the entrepreneurial side of that, you can with balance, create opportunity for more freedom to be able to, you know, pursue certain things in ministry and, and do certain things for your church or however that looks. And so I, I do encourage people that are, that are pastoring small works or, you know, even medium, even medium works to, to just open, open, open themselves up to the idea of bivocational ministry, even more so in the aspect of being an entrepreneur. I think it's healthy. Yes, I agree. And, and, you know, uh, the, the, um, medium, medium sized church, smaller church is the higher percentage of the churches that most people pastor. Uh, they are not your, your bigger churches. And we thank God for our bigger churches and, and those who pastor them. But most pastors, um, pastor smaller to medium sized works. And so they have to have either, sometimes they have to have an extra set of ink, uh, source of income, or like you said earlier, it's, just, it's something that allows us to open another avenue, uh, of the blessings of God, because, uh, you also can in, in, uh, invest into people and ministries and things of that nature. It's just, it's freeing. It's freeing. Well, uh, if you if you think of it like this, if, if you yourself as a pastor, if you start your own business, uh, become an entrepreneur, you, you are basically gaining a new giving family to your church. Yeah. Because you're going to sow back into your church. You know, you're going to tithe back into your church. You're going to give offerings back into your church. If anybody's going to give into the building fund, you're going to give from your business to the building fund. If anybody's going to give the missions, and so what you're doing is you're effectively creating another stream of revenue for your church. Yep. And so it's it's basically like you have a new family coming to your church as far as in the aspect of giving. But but I will say this, I didn't start working by vocational. I wasn't by vocational until 2019. We become pastor in 2016, and so. I, I am in no way wanting anybody to misrepresent what I'm talking about. Sure. Because when we had 15 people, we were blessed to be able to be full-time. We had a parsonage. Um, but what it allowed me to do is it allowed me to be hands-on there every day in those formational years of our pastor. And so I didn't take a job until it got to the place where I felt comfortable enough to step away from you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week working on church stuff. So I will say I, I did, we were there though from 16 to 19 where that's all we did was church. Yes. And so I'm not, I'm not speaking against that. I'm just saying there is, there's so much benefit to stepping out and, and really, and, and it could be something to, and even in bigger churches where our pastors really have to be full time. You, there are ways to start businesses where you don't have to be there. Yeah, there are ways that you can invest in business. You can invest in real estate. I think it's just wise. It's wise stewardship, because like Jesus um, tells us the parable of uh, the, the the man that owned the vineyard went away for a while, and so he gives his servants these talents, and so they had a response. What what did you do with what the master left under your umbrella? What what did you do with what he left? And I think. Doesn't matter if we're a pastor, if we're just a lay member, we have a responsibility with what we have. And so, even if even if you are a full time pastor, um, you know, I'm not trying to sound like I I have all this wise wisdom, like a wise sage, but I will say this: I think it's important to invest and to find opportunities to where you know 
you can grow your resources. I think that's extremely important for us to realize as pastors. Well, I agree. And and two, it could be at the end of the day, um, it could be even a a source of retirement um, when that day would come. Sure. Um, so it's there's many different levels to it. And I agree with you. We're not shaming anyone who's full-time and you feel like that's what you need to do. Um, but we're just encouraging no, you. If that is something that you struggle with because you feel the pressure, you need to be full-time, but you would by all means step out and use the talents God's given you and create something that you can eventually cultivate it and make it what almost passive income that you're basically letting someone oversee it and you're benefiting from it um, and help Absolutely. you operate it. So that that's such great, uh, great, great, great advice. Well, bro, I've surely appreciated you coming on and, and doing this episode with me. Um, in closing this thing out today, um, just leave us with an encouraging, uh, encouraging uh, word before uh, we close this down today. Encourage the people on the uh, Apostolic Everyday podcast. Man, absolutely. And thank you for the invite. And I uh, appreciate the time. Um, we, we see in 2 Corinthians, extremely uh, familiar portion of Scripture, chapter 11, Paul speaks about some of the things that, that he has to deal with, not, not even linked to the care of the churches. Um, but he talks about perils. He talks about strife. He talks about being beaten with rods and stoned and shipwrecked and spending a day in the deep, a night in the deep. And he was always in journeys and all types of perils and even, even perils and dangers by people that he called his own brethren and his own countrymen. And so there was, there's just this, this depth to Paul's pressure. Um, and so Paul, even though he was in the ministry, he had pressure outside of the ministry. And I think what's so important to understand is that as, as pastors, there's, there's all sorts of mounting pressure aside from the pressures of pastoring. And that's, that's what he said in verse 28 of chapter 11, second Corinthians. He said, beside those things that are without, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He said, I'm, I have all of these things, and then I have the pressure of the church. And what we find is, man, is that this can be extremely crippling um, when, when we feel like all we're doing is giving and all we're doing is pouring out and all we're doing is planning and all we're doing is strategizing and we're trying to balance it all. And even for the guys that are going to listen to this that are entrepreneurs and have their businesses and they may go to a nine-to-five, there's just this immense amount of pressure that that we all face is pressure to make sure that we spend enough time with our wives, pressure to make sure that we're spending enough time with our kids, and then even pressure to make sure that we're spending enough time with, with God and study and devotion. And well, what Paul says is he said, well, well, he asked the question, he said, who is weak? He said, I, I'm not weak. Who is offended? And I burn not. Then in verse 30, he said, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. He's basically saying, I'm going to boast in these things. I'm going to joy in these things. I'm going to rejoice in these things because I know that God has called me to do what I'm calling. And so if I could leave any word of encouragement to a pastor that may feel like you're struggling, I've been there. I have. And even now, even now, we, you know, even, even Brother William has alluded to it, people see what we have going on. But even now, there are days immense pressure and i would dare say the 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 larger your responsibilities come the, the more pressure that you're under but but just know this you're you will absolutely make it if you stay consistent and you know what to do that is not that is not to say that every day will be easy but know this there is a reward there is a reward and it's not this transactional idea of well if i if i do this god's going to do this no the reward is jesus that's our reward it's not this monetary blessing or this idea of a monetary blessing. It's Jesus is my reward. He is my rest. I find my rest in him. I find my glory in him. So if you're a pastor out there and you're struggling with this idea of, it seems like all you've encountered is obstacles and walls and frustrations and uh, frustrations in finances, frustration in, you know, trying to find somebody to work in the church. Just know this, it's all for a purpose. And I think it's extremely important for us to, 
change our perspective. So many times we look at, well, this happened to me or this happened to me. And it would have been easy for me to do the same. Well, we, we lost our church to fire. We lost this. We lost that. But I, I, I finally had a realization through the tragedy that happened to that young boy, the example that his parents were of faith. I finally changed my perspective and I stopped thinking that things happened to me. And I started thinking that things happened for me. And so if you're a pastor struggling, change your perspective. Think this didn't happen to me. This happened for me. Whatever the struggle is, it's happening for my good. Whatever the frustration is, it's happening for my good. Whatever the dilemma is, it's happening for my good. On the other side of this, I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be wiser. I'm going to gain something from this because there's a lesson to be learned and it's not just suffering. There's a lesson that God will teach you. God is not the author of confusion. While God may not have offered the chaos, and the trouble and the, and the fire, God will use it to teach you something. And so change your perspective. And even if you're a young minister and there's things going on in your life or you're a young evangelist, then you just really don't understand what's going on. Change your perspective. It didn't happen to you. It happened for you. And so I believe that if you'll change your perspective, you'll begin to see God's glory in the suffering and you'll find joy in that. Guys, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the Apostolic Everyday Podcast. It has been a blessing to me just having my friend on this episode, and I hope and pray that it is and will be a blessing to you. We are excited about the future of the Apostolic Everyday Podcast, and there will be great, uh, great more interviews coming uh, in the near future, but we're so excited about this one, and we're excited about sharing it with you, and we're excited about Pastor Colby Meadows being with us today, and so uh, we're going to sign off with that. God bless you until the next time.